Well, it is awesome that we get to jive, uh, dive into, jump into, and dive into, turns into jive. Yes, there you go. Uh, it's awesome that we get, get to dive into this new sermon series once more. We're going to be in this for the next three weeks uh, remaining, and it is, this subject is, Who is Jesus? Uh, last week we talked about the accepting Christ. Does Jesus accept everybody? That, of course, is the wrong question to ask. Uh, the right question is not, does Jesus accept me? The right question is, do I accept him? And this week, our question that we're going to ask is similarly uh, understood by our culture in a whole lot of different ways. Now, you may be surprised at some of the things that we talk about this morning, maybe some things that you didn't know about, and hopefully these are going to be educational moments for you this morning. But this is a, a, a subject in our culture that is actually more and more unclear when it should be becoming more and more clear who Jesus is. I mean, we have the Bible, we have Jesus Christ himself, you know, who is, who is a witness to us. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the church, we have the, the, the constant barrage of people reminding us who Jesus Christ is. In scripture, it makes it very clear, actually, in Colossians 1, verse 15 and 16, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There, there are verses galore in scripture that tell us the identity of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to take a moment and talk about who does Jesus think that he is? Now, so how many of you like the whodunit movies? I'm talking about the movies where you, you, you're like watching it, you don't know who actually did the deed, if it was a crime, or who actually did the, the whatever it is that we're trying to figure out. And then at the end, it's all of a sudden, it's, it's held back, it's held back, and then revealed at the end. Like some of these movies, you probably have your favorites. I have mine as well, The Sixth Sense. I don't know if you're up for a Sixth Sense kind of a, a movie, but that is one that's amazing, right? Because you, you hold on to the end, you're going, why is everybody acting really weird? What's going on? He's, well, I won't blow it for you just in case you, you haven't seen it yet. But uh, that's a good whodunit. Matrix is another one, you know, the alternate reality that's going on. One of my favorite ones is called The Usual Suspects. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but that's, a, that's an old, old one, but a, but a goodie. Oldie, but goodie. These are all movies that, that have identities of people that are held back. That you don't know what's actually going on, and then, ta-da, all of a sudden it happens at the end. And you're going, oh, I didn't see that coming. Jesus' life is completely the opposite. All through Jesus' life, he is constantly telling us who he is. There is no big reveal in Jesus' life where people go, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know Jesus thought he was God. Jesus makes it clear in his ministry all the way through his life that he knows who he is. Jesus is God himself. Now, you may hear that and you may think to yourself, I don't know if I actually believe that because it is becoming more and more popular to believe that Jesus was not God. You may be thinking to yourself, boy, those are not the circles I run in. Jesus, of course Jesus is God. Well, it's interesting how the world is changing. Jesus constantly claimed to be equal with God. He claimed to be the only way to heaven. He claimed to be the food that fell from heaven, the bread that fell from heaven that gives us spiritual life. Uh, people in Jesus' day had a hard time accepting this. So you're thinking to yourself, well, Craig, it's no wonder people had a hard time accepting this. That's just a hard claim to believe. And you're absolutely right. In Jesus' day, it was the same thing. Look at this verse in John 6, 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, hey, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, 
whose mother and father we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Church, why did people have a hard time believing that Jesus was God? Because they knew his mom and dad. Do you you get that they weren't buying this whole, I was impregnated by the Holy Spirit idea? They knew Mary. They They could go over to Mary and Joseph's house, knock on the door, and talk to Jesus' mother and father. And now Jesus is saying very clearly, I am God. And they're saying, that can't possibly be true. We know this guy's parents. How could somebody like this claim to be God? Not only that, but his entrance into the world was less than sterling, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, he was born out of wedlock. I mean, it wasn't the best past. Mary and Joseph have kind of made a name for themselves. Oh, oh, sure, he was, he was born of a virgin. Sure, we all know the story, but who's buying that? And so when Jesus came along and said, oh, by the way, I'm God, there's a lot of obstacles, belief obstacles, people had to go over to swallow this idea. And times haven't changed. People still have a very difficult claim with the idea that Jesus is God. Other religions talk about Jesus. They even like Jesus. Some of them elevate him to apostleship or discipleship or even a prophetship. Some of them elevate him because they like him, but they do not elevate him to the place of God. Because it is simply too narrow-minded. And listen, church, in our increasingly pluralistic society, this idea of Jesus being God is not going to be highly accepted. In fact, if I would venture to say I'm not the prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I would venture to say it is becoming more and more and will become more and more popular to question the deity of Jesus Christ. The sense of disbelief is not new. This is why, by the way, John writes his gospel. I don't know if you know this, but all of the gospel writers write their gospel for a specific purpose. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all have their reasons for writing. And I don't have time to go into all of them, but they all have their reasons, their audience that they're writing to. John does as well. John writes his gospel about 60 years after Jesus ascended. And you know what's happening 60 years after Jesus ascended and went back to heaven, rose from the dead and went back to heaven? What's happening is people are having a hard time believing the story. So all the way through John's gospel, if you're wondering why we quote John's gospel a lot, it's because John constantly reminds his readers, he constantly reminds us, Jesus is God. Here's just some of the favorites. You remember John 3.16? All right, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But know what the next verse says? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world through him might be saved. How does the world get saved, church? Through Jesus Christ. It is very clear. To the Gentile Samaritan woman who was getting water from the well, Jesus spoke to the Gentiles, told them the same thing. The woman said to him in John 4.25, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her in verse 26, Ta-da! I who speak to you am he. Anybody confused? 
Next one, the people who loved religion, John 5, 18. This is why the Jews were seeking the more to kill him. Why were the Jews always trying to kill Jesus? You guessed it, because not only he was breaking the Sabbath, but look at this church, he was even calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. You wonder why the Jews constantly wanted to kill Jesus? It's because they knew what Jesus was saying. I am God. To the religious rulers in John 5, 39, you read the scriptures. Listen to this. This is one of my favorites. You read the scriptures. These are guys that are teaching God's word to the people. You read the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about who, church? Me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus actually thought the entire Bible was written about him. Now that's narcissistic or true. It's got to be one of the two. Jesus is saying to the people that teach the law constantly, that teach the Bible constantly, what you're teaching is all about me. He's not hiding it. And many of his disciples in verse 60 of chapter 6, it says, oh, oh, sorry, did I skip one? Yes, to the religious Jews, sorry, sorry, sorry. John 5, 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, all the Old Testament scriptures, of whom you have set your hope. For you believe, if you believe Jesus, sorry, if you believe Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of what? Moses wrote about Jesus. Jesus is not hiding this. This is not a whodunit moment. Jesus is constantly saying all the way through Scripture, and John just just bashes us over the head with this idea. From, from the very first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John makes it clear to us, this is, this is only up to like six chapters in John. And he is telling us, listen, you need to know one thing. Jesus thinks he's God. And so do I. In fact, his disciples understood it so well that they got scared of following him. In verse 60 of John 6, it says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And it says in the next verse, many of them left him. And we haven't even gotten to John 8 yet. This is one of the most blatant ones. John 8, 58 says, Jesus said unto them, truly, truly, I say to you, that's like, this is as true as it gets. Truly, truly. There's two in a row here. Truly, truly. I'm saying to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, who's called the I am church in the Old Testament? Who introduced themselves to Abraham calling himself I am? Who was that? God. Yahweh. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Moses got this introduction of God the first time calling him the I am. And now we have Jesus taking the very name of God. And make no mistake, they knew it because if you keep reading in John 8, the Jews tried to kill him again there too. It's a regular occasion where Jesus says, I am God, and it's a regular occasion where people are trying to kill him because he is saying he's God. C.S. Lewis tells us there's only three ways to, to understand what Jesus Christ is saying. When you examine Jesus Christ, you either come down one of three ways. He's either lying, he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord God. Has to be one of the three. And I'll add one more because it's becoming more and more popular today, although it's kind of wrapped up in the other ones. He was either, he might have been, in your opinion, maybe a good teacher or a good fella. 
And times have not changed. People in Jesus' days thought the exact same thing. So I found a passage in John 7 that, that actually sits on each one of these things. Like, is Jesus a good fella? Is he a good teacher and that's all he is? Is he a good prophet? Is he not more than that? And we will find out. This is just one passage in a plethora of passages where we find Jesus makes claims to be God. Now, some background of John 7. This is the Feast of Sukkot. Uh, Do you like that word, Sukkot? Do you want to say that word because it sounds cool? Say the word, Sukkot. Sukkot. The Feast of Sukkot. This comes after the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a time when everybody was confessing their sins. And the Day of Sukkot, the Feast of Sukkot, was a time to celebrate. They've heard now that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the celebrations, and here's what happened. John 7, verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. What do you see there? People are talking about what? They're talking about Jesus. There was much muttering about Jesus among the people. In other words, people are chatting. And rumor has it, Jesus is here. Now, in this big crowd that is there for Sukkot, everybody is looking for their parents and their loved ones that are traveling from afar to come and celebrate, but they're also looking for one other person, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, the reason they're looking for him is because they've heard about him. There's no social media, there's no Facebook, there's no newscasting, there's none of that. This is all word of mouth. People were talking about Jesus Christ. So everybody is there, they're with their families, and they're looking also... For this guy that they've heard so much about. Jesus has already talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He's already made several claims to be God. And so they're interested to know, where is he? Have you seen him? I I know mom and dad are over there. But have you seen this guy they call Jesus? I heard he's here today. Like, what does he look like? Who are we looking for exactly? Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. And some people thought he wasn't much more than that in John 7, verse 12. And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Do you get the idea? Some people, when they're muttering about Jesus, they simply think he's a good teacher. He's a good fella. He's a good guy. Sound like our culture today? Some people thought he was not a good fella. They thought maybe he was a deceiver. In verse 12 it says, Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. He's a liar. He's he's lying to people, leading them astray. He is a false prophet. Others said in verse 19, Jesus was a lunatic or he was possessed. Jesus said, why do you seek to kill me? And verse 20 says, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Do you get this? Their culture and our culture are surprisingly similar. Some people thought he was a good fella. Some people here today, probably online, and probably the people that you walk with and rub shoulders with probably think, yeah, Jesus was a good fella, but I don't know if he was more than that. Some people might say, oh, he was a good teacher. We should really listen to the teachings of Jesus, but they wouldn't go much further than that. Other people would say, no, Jesus, he's a liar. He's not who you think that he is. And the scriptures that you're reading about him, they lie about who he is too. That whole Christian thing, following Christ, that is a big lie. And other people might think, no, no, Jesus was a little kooky. He was a little crazy in the head. He thought he was God and only crazy people think that they are God. 
in Jesus' day as in ours, you had people on all of those sides of the fences. Let's look at each one of them. This will be fun. Jesus was a good teacher and nothing more. Now listen, when people taught in Jesus' day, they would always quote other people. Have you had teachers like this? Have you had professors like this that they, they quote other writers or they say, you know, somebody, read, somebody wrote something about this and it's on page. So I had a professor in my seminary. He would always remember the page number on the book that he read about the subject that we were talking about. It was like uh, page 55, somewhere in the middle, you can find it there. And it was like, holy moly, this guy is incredibly smart. In Jesus' day, it was the same thing. You would always quote other rabbis. You didn't, you didn't say anything of your own. You used other people's stuff. And especially if you were trained under a rabbi, like let's say your rabbi was Rabbi Jim, you would always quote Rabbi Jim. You know, Rabbi Jim says blank. Jesus never quoted rabbis. In fact, he sometimes quoted the Old Testament, but he never quoted other people. In, in, in contrast, Jesus didn't quote other people. He taught like this. You have heard it said... But I say to you, do you understand the contrast there? You have heard other rabbis say this, but I'm going I'm to do some clarification for you. I'm saying to you this, or like we just read, truly, truly, I say to you. This is how Jesus taught, and it constantly amazed the crowds because nobody taught with that kind of authority. Matthew 7, verse 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, this is, by the way, Sermon on the Mount, longest longest sermon that we have of Jesus Christ. And here's how it finishes. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had what church? Authority. He taught them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. In other words, Jesus was saying, you have heard it said, let me clear it up for you. You've heard it said, I got to tell you, this is the way that it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus was speaking with authority and everybody understood it and when people were, were were recipients of this kind of teaching and they couldn't refute it they were defenseless jesus teaching is one of the most powerful tools that he had in scripture in fact there's a verse in john 7 verse 45 that says this the officers came to the chief priests and the pharisees this is by the way at the feast of sukkot when jesus is at the temple and the jews hate him the pharisees hate him so they wanted to try and grab him to put him in jail, get rid of him, shut him up, put a mask over his face. That's what they wanted to do. Officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to him, why did you not bring him? Why didn't you grab him? Why didn't you put him in chains? Look at what the officer said. The officers at the temple said, no one ever spoke like this man. They were afraid, not of Jesus, they were afraid of his method of teaching because he didn't teach like the scribes. And he didn't teach like the Pharisees. He taught as one with authority. His teaching was powerful enough to drive fear into his enemies' hearts. That's pretty powerful teaching, don't you think? What was his teaching powerful about? Well, again, he's usually just teaching about one thing over and over and over again. He is God. He is the Messiah. Jesus said, what you're hearing from me is as if you're hearing from the God, God's mouth himself. That was authoritative, and that was frightening to some people. The most crucial point of his teaching, if he was God, 
the most crucial point of his teaching is that he was God, which means that, now listen carefully, you cannot believe Jesus was a good teacher if you do not believe he's God. The reason is because his main curriculum was Remember, remind everybody that you're God. Now, here's what I want you to teach. It's, just, it's in his lesson plans constantly. If you've got a teacher that teaches good, you think, you're saying, yeah, this guy was a good teacher. And he thinks he's God and he's teaching he's God and he's lying to Listen, if you've got a teacher that means a lot to you, my guess is there's a lot of trust there between you and that teacher. If that teacher ever lied to you, you'd probably say, that's not a very good teacher. Get it? If Jesus is saying, I am God and I'm going to teach you now, and you can live with the fact that he's a good teacher, that, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. It's illogical. Because Jesus taught that he was God. If you ask people today, most people will claim that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. And that is incongruent, illogical. Let me tell you a few. In the Hindu religion... They do not believe that Jesus was one with the Father. When Jesus says, I and the Father are one, they would say that Jesus is simply elevating his thinking to understanding a greater consciousness, a higher consciousness, where he could be one in thought and essence as the Father. And you can too. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing with Hindu. You want to elevate your mind above the, the flesh. So the Hindu religion would say Jesus wasn't actually saying he was one as is one he was the father. He's simply saying he's elevated his state of conscientious being to being one conscious higher consciousness with the father. They do not teach that Jesus was God. The Mormons do not believe that Jesus was God either. They believe he was a son of God created by God. He was a messiah for humankind but he was not God. Jehovah's Witness do not believe that Jesus was God. They teach that Jesus was a son of God. Jesus might have been even a God, but he was not the God. And they have changed verses, by the way. The Jehovah's Witness has changed verses in their Bible. They'll say they use the same Bible as us. They do not. They've changed verses in order to reflect their preconceived ideas. The Ramadan... Uh, Ramadan is the uh, time of year that we're actually in right now. Islam celebrates this time of Ramadan. What does Islam teach about God? Even the Quran says that Jesus is not God. In the Quran it says in Sirah 4, 171, Allah is the only God, far be it from his glory that she, he should have a son. Did you read that? Did you listen to that carefully? That's right out of the Quran. Sirah 575 says the Messiah, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the son of Mary and is only an apostle. All of the religions of the world, and you can pick any of them, have a view of Jesus because he existed. You cannot prove that he didn't. Their view of Jesus, however, is tainted and broken if they do not teach that Jesus is equal and one with God. And let me take you right to the bottom, bottom line. There is only one religion that teaches that Jesus is God himself, and that religion is Christianity. It's the only religion on the planet that teaches that Jesus is one with God. 
So listen, church, you cannot believe that Jesus was a good man or a good teacher and nothing else because he cannot be a good man if he's lying to you. He cannot be a good teacher if his teaching is false. You te- technically, you call that a false teacher, <laughs> a false prophet. And in the New Testament, you know what, in the Old Testament, you know what you did with false prophets? What do you do with false prophets? You stone them. That's why they wanted to kill Jesus. They thought he was a false teacher. So let's get rid of this idea that Jesus was just a good guy or a good teacher. He could not be a good teacher if he's teaching that he is God. Let me, let me put it to you just this way. Two questions that you can ask anybody or even yourself. Do you believe that Jesus was a good teacher who taught good things? Most people would agree with that. Second question. Do you believe the Bible when it says there's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ, his son? Most people will not agree with that. Do you know what Jesus taught? Jesus taught there's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to God except through him. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Read it for me, church. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus cannot be a good teacher and lie to you like that. So either he was telling the truth and he is a good teacher and he is God or he's not God, and he's a false teacher. Either Jesus did not teach good things, and he was a false teacher, or Jesus did teach good things, and his main teaching was about himself being God. All right, so that's the whole good teacher thing. Let's go to the liar thing. Maybe Jesus was a good teacher. He just lied about some things. (laughs) Okay, I have a problem with that statement right off the bat, but... Let's say that that's possible. Somebody is able to be a good, good teacher and still tell lies. Maybe he had to tell the lies to lend authority to his teaching. I've had a lot of good teachers in my life, and I've got to tell you, I don't know what I'd think about them. I don't know if I would put them in the good teacher category if I knew that they were lying to me on a regular basis. I may not define them as a good teacher anymore. But if Jesus was a liar, his lies would have been revealed. And his lies, if he lied, if he was a liar, his lies were never revealed. <laughs> they, were, they couldn't find one thing to accuse Jesus. Do you know he got all the way to his trial? That's 33 years of his life. He got all the way to his trial. They bring him into the trial and they try and accuse him of breaking Moses' law so that they could kill him. They wanted to prove he was a false teacher. So they got in there and they tried to prove it. And they had tons of material. And they kept talking about the material and they kept going through it. And they couldn't find one thing that was false. They couldn't find one thing that he said that, would, that, was not, that had not come true or was not true in and of itself. Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were sending, seeking. They weren't even finding witnesses. They had to find false witnesses. They were seeking to find false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward, and at last two came forward. And you know what they accused him of? Something that he taught out of context. They said, Jesus said, in three days, if you tear this temple down in three days, I'll build it back. And what they said was he was talking about this temple that Herod built, when in reality we know Jesus was talking about his own body and being killed, rising again in three days. Listen, Pilate couldn't even find anything wrong with Jesus' teachings. That's why Pilate washed his hands, because he said, I cannot find anything wrong 
in this man. The Jews wanted him dead, and Pilate didn't want anything to do with it. So they killed him. All right, last one, lunatic. Jesus might have been a loony. Maybe he was a human being who claimed to be God, and that makes him a lunatic. You might find somebody at your, in your life at some point claiming to be God. When you find that person, you might think that they're a little loony. I mean, if you found somebody that said that they were Patrick Swayze, and you looked at them and you go, nah, I'm not seeing it, you're not Patrick Swayze, right? You, 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 you logically understand that this person is illogical and maybe a little crazy. Here's a couple of things. Number one, Jesus did not behave irrationally. There's nothing that Jesus did that would put him in the loony category. And you should know, in Jesus' day, there was lots of lunatics around. You remember, Jesus is always casting demons out of, out of people who were demon-possessed. How did they act, church, in Scripture? You remember how the demon-possessed people act? They were always breaking chains or living among the tombs or screaming out uncontrollably at people. People avoided them like the plague because they acted weird. Jesus never did. Jesus was always in control. Jesus was always, always, uh, he never fit that bill. He was always under control. His character constantly displayed his claims to be God that were, would make him not a lunatic, but accurate. Number two, maybe Jesus thought, maybe Jesus was loony because he thought the entire Bible was about him. Well, that would put him in the loony category, don't you think? If I thought the entire Bible were written about me and I was serious about it, you would have major issues with me. Think about it. Like, you've read the whole Bible. I want to tell you, those are all about me. I mean, you'd look at me and you'd think, that's a little loony, right? Jesus was clearly under the assumption that the entire Bible was written about him. John 5, 46. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me because Moses wrote of me. And that's loony. But the leaders of the day couldn't even nail him on this one. They wanted to, but Jesus has fulfilled way too many Old Testament prophecies, and they couldn't nail him on anything. Number three, Jesus could also be called crazy because he thought he had the power to forgive sins. Now again, because we're, we're you know, used to the church atmosphere, we're Christians, and we go, yeah, of course Jesus has the power to forgive sins. I want you to just think about that idea for a second. These are not sins that are done against Jesus. These are sins that are done against two different people, and Jesus has nothing to do with them. C.S. Lewis wrote on this too. Listen to this. Unless the speaker is God, this is really so preposterous as to be comical. We do not have much difficulty in imagining how a person can forgive an offense against himself. If a person should hit you, you have the right to forgive him. Don't mention it, you might say, particularly if the other person was sorry. If he steals from you, you can also forgive him. But suppose that person should go around hitting other people, thousands of them, and stealing from them. In that case, you have no right to forgive him, and you should regard highly anyone who thought he had this right crazy. This is precisely what Jesus did. It'd be like Jonathan and me up on the platform and, and Jonathan rips me off. He steals something, steals my car and drives it around when he's going to Starbucks and smashes into the corner and, and he walks back and, and uh, he goes, Craig, I smashed up your car. And I'm going, what? You smashed up my car? What? Yeah, he said, I'm, I'm not going to do anything about it. I took it when you were asleep 
before when everybody was working. I wanted Starbucks, and I stole it, and I went to go get And I'm not doing anything about it. I'm going, you have offended me, brother. I need a car. What did, what did you do? I a sledgehammer. Yeah, or he uses a sledgehammer, yeah. Now, now I want to go to the parking lot and just check it out. <laughs> How would you feel if Pat came into the room and said, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Jonathan, did you steal Craig's car? Jonathan says, yeah, I did. And Craig says, yeah, 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 come on, he's offended me. And Pat looks at Jonathan and says, Jonathan, I forgive you. How would I feel? I'm going, wait a doggone minute, I've been, I've been wronged, I've been offended, right? Jesus did this all the time. Oh, you guys are having a fight? I forgive you. Oh, you guys are having a fight? I forgive And people are going, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right at all. No, we'd call that person crazy. Because Jesus knew an offense against our brother or sister is primarily an offense against God. And he was God. So he comes to us and he says, listen, all of your sins can be forgiven. (laughs) And he did this all the time. I'll give you one story. Mark 2 and verse 3. They came to him, bringing him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you bring a paralytic to somebody who can heal paralyzed, then you would want him to heal the paralytic, not to forgive sins. What does Jesus do? Forgives the sin. Doesn't heal him physically, heals him spiritually. Now, this was a big problem for everybody in the room. Because they're looking at this and they're going, all right, Jesus, we know you can do like miracles, but you do not have the right to forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. Mark 2, 7. They said, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they were right. No one has the power to forgive blanket sins on this planet. Only God can do that. Jesus knows this. So you know what Jesus does? Mark 2, verse 9. Which is easier to say, Jesus said to them, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Don't read any further. Which is easier, church? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because prove it. Like God forgave my sins, whatever. It's like like some esoteric reality somewhere, but it doesn't really affect. I want to see something real. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. Verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And you know what happened? He rose up, he picked up his bed, and he went home. And you know what the rest of the people in the room said? This must be God. And God has the power to forgive sins. Church, listen, miracles were a major problem for people who claim to be God. Because if you don't believe they're God, how do you explain the miracles? These miracles were the main problem. Jesus was constantly healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, making the dumb speaking. He was constantly casting out demons. Do you wonder why he did miracles all the time? It's because it wasn't bored. It wasn't on his calendar. It wasn't on his his agenda of things to do today. It wasn't because he, he wanted to make everybody's lives easier. Jesus was constantly doing miracles. You know why? It backed up his message. 
Miracles always back up the message. That's why in the New Testament, the disciples were given the ability to do miracles, and not today, but in those days, they were given the ability because they were establishing a church, a brand new church, never been on the earth before, and they needed miracles to back up the message. Jesus used miracles to back up the message. Moses used miracles to back up his message. What did Moses do? Hand in, it's leprosy. Hand in, it's clean. Staff on the ground, it turns into a snake. Really cool parlor tricks, right? Not to impress Pharaoh, not to keep up with the magicians, not to make everybody go, oh, do another one, do another one. It's the miracles back up the message. And when Jesus did miracles, it backed up his message. In church, what was Jesus' message? I am God. And everyone knew it, and they couldn't refute his miracles. This, again, there's so many scripture verses to, to back up all of this. I only pick some out because I, I don't have time to do them all. John 10, 24. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, please just tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. I've told you. This is not a whodunit movie. I've been saying this all along. You're not listening. I have told you plainly, and you do not believe. It's not the lack of me telling, it's a lack of you believing. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. You know what those works were? Miracles. The miracles were so incredible they couldn't disprove the man. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together in the council and said, what are we going to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And that's why they killed him. Jesus' miracles always backed up his message. And his message was that he was God. Finally, the critics just had enough. They couldn't refute his teachings. They couldn't declare him loony. They couldn't refute his miracles. So they just wanted him gone. Ignore it. It'll go away. Like that bump that you don't want to go to the doctor to get checked out. If you ignore it, it'll just go away. John ten thirty one. So the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for the good works that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, Make yourself out to be God. Can you sense their frustration? They just can't shut him down. They know what he's preaching. They know what he's teaching. They know what he's doing. They see the miracles. They can't call him a liar. It's just too powerful. His teaching is, is powerful and it's changing the world. It's creating fear in his enemies. So they just want him to be gone. So they pick up stones to stone him. And he said, what are you going to stone me for? Casting out this demon, healing this blind person? What, what, are you going to do? What, are you, what are you stoning me for? Listen, not for any of that. We're just tired of you. We're tired that you keep saying you're God. Church, there's one final option. Maybe Jesus was telling the truth. Maybe he really is God. And in Jesus' day, it was the same as it is today. Some, some will believe. Go down to verse 31 in John chapter 7, our main passage. Let, yet many of the people believed in him. Oh, this is so good. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he actually do more signs than this man has done? In other words, haven't we already seen enough? 
we believe Jesus is God himself. This last group of people, don't forget about them because they started way back in Jesus' day and they continue to today and they're called the church. These people who believe that Jesus is God. This is made so clear to us in this passage in John chapter 7 as well as throughout the entire scripture. It is very hard to refute. Not if we're honest about Jesus and his teachings. Let me tell you about the Feast of Sukkot. John 7 is when this takes place. Yom Kippur has just happened. Forgiveness is offered. And then Sukkot comes, seven days later. This was a celebration of being forgiven. The celebration of knowing that God is with us and has forgiven us. God was present with his people. Sukkot was a celebratory occasion. It was like, if somebody comes to you, if Jonathan finally did come true, come up to me and say, Craig, you know what, I did take a sledgehammer in your car, it was me, and I'm really sorry. And I would say, you know what, Jonathan, I completely forgive you. You're completely forgiven. And Jonathan doesn't have to bear the guilt anymore. He doesn't have to hide the lies anymore. And Jonathan hasn't done anything to my car. He's a good fella. But the relief that we get when somebody says, listen, you are forgiven. I forgive you. This is what the Feast of Sukkot represents. It represents that that God is in the midst of his people and forgiveness is there. They still can be one with him. It was celebrated by living in tents for seven days. The reason they lived in tents for seven days is because it was a reminder to them of what it was like living in the wilderness. You remember when God came to them, they would put their camp around, and I don't know if you know this, but their camp was always in a circle, and in the center of the circle was always a tabernacle. It was a movable tent tabernacle, and above the tabernacle in the daytime was a pillar of fire. Uh, It was a cloud, a pillar of cloud, and in the nighttime was a pillar of fire. Do you know why that was in the center of the camp? is because that fire and that cloud by day represented the presence of God was still among his people. And they in their tents could peel back the outside of their tents, their little tent flaps, and look out, and the the parents could show their kids, look, look, see that cloud? It never leads us. It never leaves us. It always leads us. It never leaves. And they could peel back that, that flap of the tent at nighttime and say, now kids, before you go to bed, look out there. See that pillar of fire? It's a reminder to us that God is still with us. And when they got out of the wilderness, they did these fe- this Feast of Sukkot for seven days. They lived in tents so that they could be reminded that God is still with them. When Jesus came to us, we called him Emmanuel because it means God with us. And I have to say, I believe it is in the middle of that celebration that Jesus walks in and reminds those folks, God is here. It was during the Feast of Sukkot that Jesus walked in the midst of the people, in the middle of this crowd, walks into the middle of them, and reminds them that God is with them still, in the person of Jesus Christ. In John 7, 37, the same verse, Jesus walks into the middle of them, and he raises up his voice on the last day of the feast, the great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of him his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is standing in the middle of the presence of his people, reminding them God is still with them.
this time in a very powerful way. Because some of them in verse 40 said, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. Some people still believed Jesus was telling the truth. Jesus was God, one with God the Father. He was the only begotten Son of God, meaning that he is first place among uh, life, existence, preeminent over all. He is the only sacrifice who died for the sins of the world. And he is the only way to get to heaven. There is only one name given among men, given under heaven, whereby we must be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. No one else fits the bill. Jesus was a visible tabernacle of God sent to mingle with his creation. Origen, he was a theologian of the third century, tells a story that he went to a village to, to see this huge statue that they had created. They had erected this massive statue and they put a face on the top of it. And it was so high that the people couldn't make out what the face was. Was it angry? Was it, was it loving? Was it, was, it, was it humble? Was it meek? Well, I can't, it's so high up there, I can't see it. Nobody could see the face of the statue. So what they decided to do was they cut down the statue. They mi- miniaturized the statue so that the face could be seen. And this is the self-miniaturization of God. When we see Jesus, it is God condescending to our disbelief, to our inability to believe that God is still with us. And so God took on flesh and walked among us. And when we talk about Jesus Christ, we are talking about God. You might say these things are hard to accept, Craig, and you are right. And again, in my estimation, they're going to get harder to believe in our culture. Yet this is why the world, this is why God has taken the time to explain to the world and to us, Jesus is his son. Jesus says, I am, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. I mean, pick a verse, they're all over the place. These are only a few that I was able to give to you this morning. The gospel, gospels are full of these. Unlike the whodunit where we are concealing things, Jesus never concealed who he was. In fact, he did the very opposite. Well, Craig, that might not be enough for me. If I could just see Jesus risen from the dead, that's what it would take to convince me. Yeah. There are people in scripture that fit that bill too. And Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets. Do you know where Moses and the prophets are found, by the way? In the Bible. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets. In other words, if they do not believe the written word of God, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. Can you believe somebody would be that disbelieving? And yet we live in a world where they are. God gave us a son. His teachings were powerful. He did miracles that could not be ignored. He rose from the dead. He left us an empty tomb. He rolled a stone. God, the father, rolled the stone away for us so that we could look inside and see he's not there. God has gone to incredible lengths. They had to pay off the guards to lie about what happened Easter morning because they couldn't refute what was happening. And church, if you take a realistic view of Jesus Christ, you cannot get past the idea. You cannot get past the truth that Jesus is God. Who did Jesus think that he was? He thought he was God. And if you're following a religion that teaches anything different from that, 
you know you are in the wrong place. People will constantly ask me, well, Craig, how do you know Christianity is the right religion? Easy, one question. What does your religion do with Jesus Christ? What does your religion teach about the identity of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus taught his identity was that he was God. What do you believe? Let's pray. Father, we know that you have given us your word that has, well, continues to lead us into all truth. It has been a powerful force that we go to to remind us about who you are, what you taught. Not too many people today would even be able to say that you weren't a real person. It's just impossible to refute. There's way too much evidence. And what you taught, Father, if we take the time to read it, was, Father, you, you, you have told us in your word, your son is God, one with you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I thank you for leading us into truth. For those of us that know you as our Savior, thank you, Jesus, for leading us into truth. And I pray that you would use us as a megaphone in our world today to keep that truth going. Because only that truth has the power to change lives. You are the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in you will not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for all of these verses and hundreds more like them. Thank you for miniaturizing yourself so that we could get a clear picture of the God that we love and we serve. Thank you for demonstrating that you are meek and mild and gentle. Thank you that your invitation is open for all who believe. Thank you that there's no one that you'll cast out. Thank you that to all who call upon your name, you will be called sons and daughters of God. Thank you that that invitation is still powerful and open today. And may, may more people, especially the darker the world gets around us, may more people find their way to the light. May you draw them as only you can and convince them of the truth. God is with us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we get to sing his praises. Thank you that uh, we get to have a church centered around this truth. May you use us ever as megaphones of this truth in our generation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we come to the end of our service, and every time we finish up with our communion service together, and this is another time that we're going to do that, without giving too much introduction today, I think enough has been said about who Jesus actually was. God came to us in the form of Jesus Christ, flesh and blood. By the way, the main reason he needed flesh and blood is because he needed that to come out of him when he was killed. He needed that flesh to be pierced and that blood to flow. That was perfect blood. It was a perfect body. You are looking at an imperfect person. If I could pan the camera around, you would see a bunch of imperfect people. If you're at home, you can look around and see a bunch of imperfect people that live with you. The difference is Jesus was perfect, completely without sin, from the moment he was born until the moment he died. And because of that, when we killed him, that perfect blood flowed out of those perfect wounds. When we come to communion, it's a reminder to us that is the only sacrifice 
that was able to forgive the sins of the world. For a good man, some would dare to. For a good man, some would dare to die. For a righteous man, some would. Maybe somebody would give their lives. But Jesus came to give His life for sinners. For people who are imperfect, who disappoint Him constantly, just like we've done over this past week. Jesus came so that He could give His perfect blood and His perfect body to cover our imperfect lives and our sins. That's why Jesus can give us a blanket forgiveness and only he can do it. I can forgive you of hurting me, sure, but Jesus can forgive you of all sins, past, present, and future. You need Jesus to find that kind of forgiveness. You need Jesus to be able to put your head on your pillow at night and sleep guiltless with no shame. So when you come to the table today and you take the juice and you take the bread, remember this is a reminder to us of the blood that was spilled and the body that was pierced for us. And when you take it, just remember, look around. You're sitting among people just like you. Sinners in need of grace. Sinners in need of a savior. And when you drink, let it be a reminder, you are forgiven. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, i got to tell you, it's, the, it's about the easiest format in the world. His forgiveness is available to all. The question is, will you ask for it? That's up to you. So if you need help with that, you can talk to Brent. He's going to be at the prayer booth afterwards. Talk to him afterwards. You can talk to me afterwards. You can text me or you can email me if you're at home. Email vce at vcob.org. Uh, and I will get back to you. We would love to have a conversation. I would love to have a conversation with you and help you understand how Jesus can forgive you of your sins. And when that forgiveness comes, it is quite a release, isn't it? It is quite a release. Before we do this, uh, we always take a moment and we bow our heads. Take a moment, pray to God. Maybe God has given you something today that has been just for you. Would you thank him for that? Just thank him for speaking to you today. Thank him for whatever he has visited, the topic he has brought to your mind. Maybe something you need to confess. Whatever it is he's doing way down deep in here, have a conversation with him. I'll give you a moment to do that. Then come up, and if you're in-house, you can grab something, uh, grab a cup that has the bread and the juice in it. If you're at home, grab something. Grab some crackers or juice or whatever you have in the refrigerator. The magic's not in the thing that you use. The mag- in fact, there's no magic. Uh, the power is in what that thing represents. It represents Jesus Christ. So if you're at home, would you do this with us as well? We're going to sing a song, and uh, we're going to give you a moment of silence, sing the song, grab your uh, stuff, and then I'm going to come up and read. Wait for me to read this passage of Scripture, and then we all take together. And really, you're doing me a favor, because if you do that, it's a reminder to me we're all in the same boat together. Sinners saved by a Savior. Isn't that awesome? So take a moment and pray to the Lord and give him your heart, your time, your thanks. In the silence of this moment, Father, it's good to be reminded 
as we have all morning, that we are in desperate need and you came to visit us and offer us salvation. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for giving us your son. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Holy Spirit, thank you for leading us into truth. Now, as we take this communion, God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us together and remind us that it is only because of your blood that we have any hope of a future. (laughs) That we know we are sons and daughters of God, that you have a great future planned for us once we understand why we're here because of you. Once we understand who you are. Thank you for revealing your identity, not only 2,000 years ago, but also to us today who know you as our Savior. And may you use us as ambassadors, as only you can, to help reveal your identity to more. May you grow your church through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grander earth is quake before Moved by the sound of his voice Sees it on shaking and stern Can be calmed and broken for my regard Through it all, through it all my eyes are on you through it all through it all it is well through it all through it all my eyes are on you and it is well with me Far be it for me to not believe Even when my eyes can't see And this mountain that's in front of me Will be thrown into the midst of the sea Through it all
passage of scripture we read from each Sunday is a passage written by the Apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners. He writes to the church at Corinth and reminds them why we do this each week, in remembrance of this same Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I received from the Lord what also I delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, would you eat and drink with me and proclaim the Lord's death until we see him again?
liar, lunatic, or Lord God. One of those three. Church, the so what for today is simply this. If God has revealed himself to you in the person of Jesus Christ, what will you do? What is our calling? Well, our calling is a great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you till the end of the age. Don't you love that? Every verse in the Bible is about Jesus. <laughs> every, every chapter. Even the one we read in Corinthians. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. And if he is your Lord and your Savior, let's turn this world upside down for him. Let's go out and remind people that there's more to life than what they get in their paycheck or what they watch on the news or what battles they fight in their own personal lives or even the most recent topic, who's got the flu shot or who's got the COVID shot and the vaccine and who doesn't have the vaccine. There's so much more to life than we give it credit for. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Amen. God has been good to us and I hope he's been good to you today. For all of those of you online, it has been a privilege sharing in worship with you this morning, I pray that the Lord Jesus has touched you and your family as he has with us in this place. God bless you, church. Have an amazing Lord's Day.
Space on bed.